0: In the 1984 movie, Gremlins, we learned three rules for taking care of gremlins. Do not let them get wet. Do not expose them to direct sunlight. And don't feed them after midnight. Today, we're talking about another misunderstood threat to our happiness. A gremlin of sorts, anxiety. And if only the rules were as clear-cut as they were with the gremlins of the 80s, but they aren't, what are the rules around anxiety? Do you ignore anxious thoughts and feelings? Should I feed those thoughts? Is anything inherently wrong with me for having anxious thoughts? That is how to treat them, and so much more coming up on this episode of The Virtual Caption. Hey everybody, this is a very quick advertisement and I know I'm a podcast listener. You can hit the little fast forward button probably on your podcast player, 15 seconds, 30 seconds. But bear with me, I'll try to make this quick. As a therapist myself, I obviously recommend that everybody give therapy a try because when people ask me, do I need therapy? I don't even have to talk to you. The answer is yes, I need therapy. Everyone could use a sounding board. Everybody could use uh, an objective third party. Everybody could kind of dig deep a little bit and find out what are things that they've been holding back on? What are the things that they feel like they should be able to get over or shouldn't be worrying about? Should and shouldn't. Nobody wants to be should on. But we're all hanging on to things that uh, would be helpful to process. And there's even things that we thought we'd achieve by now or things that we really want to achieve so that we won't have these regrets in life. And so if there are people listening right now that might be noticing that their anxiety or their depression might be getting a tiny bit worse, especially with what's going on in the world right now, let's get to it. Let's not leave that untreated. You owe it to yourself, to those around you, your spouse, your kids, you. I mean, you are the. You owe it to you at the very least to give therapy a try. So if you're nervous about finding the right fit, if you're worried about bumping into somebody in the therapy waiting room, if you have any worries about therapy, might I recommend that you go immediately to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. Again, that's betterhelp.com forward slash virtual couch, all one word. And just take a look at the world of online therapy. Go check out what over half a million, approaching a million people have already done before you and sign up now by going to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch and get the help that you need, the help that you maybe didn't even know that you need. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which might not be available in many areas. And especially right now with shelter in place, with social distancing, betterhelp.com is designed to do video therapy, telephone therapy. They even have Uh, appointments that you can text. So the service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account at any time and message your therapist and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus you can schedule these weekly video, phone sessions, whatever it is. So you won't have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Although every time I do this ad, I do want to say that my waiting room is quite lovely. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. Oftentimes you can start communicating in under 24 hours and the betterhelp.com assessment, the intake alone, is brilliant and they also work with with all kinds of things acceptance and commitment therapy one of my favorite techniques emotionally focused therapy they work with anxiety with OCD with depression so do yourself a favor. Go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. You'll receive 10% off your first month services. And and I can't lie, obviously, if you're going to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, and this is the virtual couch podcast, it's going to help me out a little bit too. So go check it out. You'll receive 10% off your first month services. What are you waiting for? Just go check it out. Betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. Try it today. Everybody, welcome to episode 199 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father, four, ultra marathon runner, and co author of the best selling book, He's a Porn Addict Now What? An Expert and a Former Addict to Answer Your Questions, in which I play the role of the expert, available on Amazon um, in paperback, hardback, or even ebook, and also creator of The Path Back an online pornography recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography. If you or anyone that you know is struggling to put pornography behind them once and for all, and trust me, it can be done in a strength-based hold to shame, become the person you always knew you could be way. Then please head over to PathBackRecovery.com, and there you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to get rid of pornography once and for all. Again, PathBackRecovery.com. And uh, go follow me on Instagram at VirtualCouch, or head over to TonyOverbay.com. Sign up now to find out about upcoming programs like my free parenting program. So that is up and available. You can go there, click on the courses link, and it is tips for parenting positively even in the not-so-positive times. I've gotten some nice press on that. The the That is one of those where I hesitate to be that guy going... Thank you so much for the amazing feedback, but truly thank you so much for the amazing feedback. It's a free parenting program. It's strength based. It's positive. You got your kids at home right now. If you haven't gone and taken a look at it, please do. Free. No strings attached. And spread the word. Um, I'm, I'm having people, it's uh, bless their hearts, but people that are saying, hey, is this okay if I share this? Or can I share this with on my congregation, church congregation's Facebook page or web page or whatever? Yes, it is 100% free. Share it to, to everybody. Get the message out to the world. And uh, a couple of things that uh, one one request, and then one another thank you for the last episode one ninety eight. My wife was on there. Two of my kids, my son in law, my nephew, quarantine kids were back. That was one we just did for fun. But apparently we've uh, we've struck a chord. We've we've really uh, hopefully captured what a lot of the the frustrations are or around quarantine. So if you haven't listened to one ninety eight, please go back and listen to that one as well. And then I'm still asking for feedback on your marriage or relationship questions, your hotspots and communication, communication triggers, you name it. Just send those to contact at tonyoverbay.com or go on the tonyoverbay.com website and there's a, uh, there's a form there that you can send. But email me those things. They're going to be a part of an upcoming episode. So I really wanted to talk today about anxiety. I, I run into people that are struggling with anxiety, panic attacks, on a daily basis. And I know that especially at this time, whether we go with the pandemic, the shelter in place, the fear of whether or not somebody will get COVID-19 or not, people that are out of work, that there are people that have their kids at home all day, people that are interacting with spouses and maybe their communication skills aren't as sharp but there's a lot of reasons that people feel anxious right now and I want to just kind of talk off the cuff here a little bit and I am going to dig into an article from Medical News today and just talk about anxiety some of the symptoms the different types of anxiety but I wanted to just uh, just throw something out there so I'm going to go on a tiny bit of a tangent and I and I think it's going to make sense as I as I start to ramp up and talk more about anxiety in general but Way back when, when I was, when I was, got out of grad school, I had learned about cognitive behavioral therapy. And I really enjoyed it. CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. And in a very broad sense, cognitive behavioral therapy said that your thoughts lead to your emotions and your emotions lead to your behaviors. And you had some very cute acronyms, uh, ANTS, automatic negative thinking, or you had some nice little rhythmic things. Um, You were going to stomp out – no, no, stomp out the ants, the automatic negative thinking, or just try to stop the stinking thinking. And a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy came from this place of a lot of these thoughts that you had were automatic negative thoughts based on your past – And I liked, and I've given this example before, so bear with me if you've heard this one. But I worked with a client at one point who was he growing up as a child. He had been several hundred pounds overweight. I mean, like a couple hundred pounds overweight. So when he would enter a room, people would look at him and they would make fun of him. So I had him about 10 years after he had lost a lot of the weight, and he was still uh, struggling with some social anxiety issues, social anxiety, panic panic attacks, whenever he entered a room full of people. So when he came to see me, at that time, I was starting to do more of acceptance and commitment therapy. So I had been trained a cognitive behavioral therapist, CBT. And I was now learning more about acceptance and commitment therapy, ACT, or ACT. And in the cognitive behavioral therapy model, you are kind of identifying these automatic negative thoughts. So when he would enter a room in his 20s and people would look at him, then he would think that they're making fun of me. But again, he was now a couple hundred pounds lighter than when he was younger. So what one could say in the cognitive behavioral therapy model is, when you walk in the room and everybody looks at you, Instead of thinking that they're making fun of me, that's an automatic negative thought or stinking thinking based on your past. So you change that thought. You work on some, you work on changing that thought to think, or maybe they're all looking at me and thinking that I look good. So you can see that if the thought changes from they're all looking at me because they think I look bad to now they're all looking at me because they think I look good, then in theory, the emotion would go from um, I don't know sadness or anger to then happiness, and then the behavior would go from instead of wanting to withdraw out of that environment, he would want to walk in and embrace that environment. So it sounds it sounds nice, right? And uh, there are so there are plenty probably more cognitive behavioral therapists than ACT therapists. I don't know the exact numbers, but I I used to teach that model. What would happen though? And this p- person in particular was one of the first people where I, I kind of made this shift to working in ACT is he would, we identified when he would walk into the room and everybody would look at him and then he would try to change that thought from, I think they're making fun of me to, I think they think I look good because in hopes that that would lead to an emotion of happiness and a behavior of entering the room. But then his brain would say, no, I'm not buying it. They really do think you still look pretty big. And so then he would come into my office and say, what is wrong with me? I can't even just change my thoughts. I can't, I can't take that simple concept and then make this thought turn into one that's happy which would lead to an emotion that would be of you know of, of happiness and a behavior of where I could enter the room And that was one of the first times that I truly applied the acceptance and commitment therapy principle of, This guy was the only person in the world who had all of his private experiences, who had grown up with his family of origin, who had his nature and nurture, who had his DNA, his birth order, his abandonment, his rejection, his gaining of hundreds of pounds, his losing of hundreds of pounds. So he's the only person that ever had that experience. So when he walks into that room and he thinks that everybody is looking at him and they're making fun of him. Then that's what he thinks. And it kind of makes sense based on his private experiences. And as a matter of fact, if anybody then tries to tell him, no, no, don't think that, think something else, now enters this term. I did a podcast on it a couple of weeks ago. This is also in part of my parenting, my positive parenting program that you can get free online. But now we've got this psychological reactance. And remember, psychological reactance is the instant negative reaction to basically being told what to do. It's, it's, in, it's inborn in us. It's our brain's way to preserve its freedoms from being dominated by an alpha male or some, you know, a negative society. So when we say, no, 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 think this, you know, don't think that, think this other thing, his brain has psychological reactants as well. So it's saying, I can kind of think whatever I want. And as a matter of fact, based on my private experiences, I think they're still looking at me and I think they're making fun of me. So where act came into play, Is saying that, hey, what if you kind of change this whole game to be instead of what's wrong with me, of just saying, nothing wrong with me. This is just kind of where I am. This is what I'm thinking. And so now what do I do with those thoughts? What's my goal? In this particular situation, his goal was to improve his, his social life. So then he could then take that, hey, they're all looking at me and making fun of me. And now we can say, okay, okay, I'm I'm thinking that. I'm human, so what do I want to do with that thought? I'm not even arguing or debating if that's a true or false statement. Is it a productive thought toward my goal of becoming more social, uh, interacting more socially? And if it's not, ACT has some wonderful diffusion techniques to learn how to to, to mindfully diffuse from that thought, kind of set that thought aside, and then continue to re-enter these social situations, and eventually that becomes the new pathway. So, why do I mention this? Because a lot of what I believe causes this anxiety that's within us is we're, we're starting most of our days, we're starting the game kind of saying, what's wrong with me? You know, why do I think these things I do? Why do I feel these this way that I feel and that causes this anxiety within us. Whenever we're having the what's wrong with me story playing in our brains, that's not one that's going to lead to feelings of calm or understanding. It's going to cause us to feel bad. It's going to cause us to feel anxious. And once we start feeling anxious, I like to say at times, man, the game is kind of rigged because let's look at the way anxiety works. So when you start to think, anxious thoughts, when you start to worry, when you start to feel like what's wrong with me or what if this person does this or what if this next thing might happen, then you are going to become hyper aware. And when that is happening, your heart rate's going to start to elevate. And when your heart rate starts to elevate, here comes the brain. The brain is starting to work all of these things behind the scenes automatically because bless your brain's squishy pink heart, it thinks it's doing you a favor. So the brain's starting to say, all right, be careful, watch out, what if, you know, and as it does that, then you're releasing cortisol, the stress hormone. And cortisol, and I think I talked about this in a podcast a week or two ago, you know, cortisol, the more cortisol you release, then that comes from this the amygdala. The more that your brain is starting to go into that fight, flight, or freeze, your whole prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain that makes decisions, rational decisions, rational decisions, is starting to shut down. So, and the more it starts to shut down, the more you start to feel this fight or flight, and the more then that causes your heart rate to elevate. Because again, your brain, your body, it thinks it's doing you a favor. And so sometimes I think that this, this is, is deep. This concept is really deep. If you go with the acceptance and commitment therapy mindset of, hey, what if I'm okay? What if I start the game? What if I start every day by saying, I think I'm okay based on my all of the things I bring to the table right now. And then if that's the case, then I can get a lot better at thanking my brain for wanting to cause me to feel anxious about situations. But then I can kind of learn how to just note that thought, set it aside, do a little breathing exercise, get myself back to being very present, and then continuing to go about my day. And then your brain's still going to throw up these, yeah, but what about this? And you learn how to get really good at saying, yeah, what about it? You know, in acceptance and commitment therapy, there's a concept there where your brain is constantly looking to the future or looking at the past as ways to try to orient. So what happens is a lot of times you say, yeah, but this is what happened in the past. And so then we go, oh, man, that's right. We get a little bit anxious. Or we say, what if this happens in the future? And we go, man, I don't know. What if it does? And we get a little anxious. So what if... You learn this technique to when that when your brain says, well, what about this thing that happened in the past, that you learn how to say, yeah, that was pretty crazy. Anyway, back to being present. And then your brain says, what about what if this happens in the future? Kind of that same response. I don't know. Maybe. So thank you, brain. And now I'm right back in the present. So I I kind of feel like that all plays into this concept of anxiety. And so um, let me go back to this article. It's from Medical News Today. And it just says, what to know about anxiety. So and and I love how it normalizes. So anxiety is a normal and often healthy emotion, a little bit of anxiety. um, I think Dr. Mary Wild said this in a podcast a few weeks ago on my podcast, where she said, you know, enough anxiety to cause you to take action is a good thing. When that anxiety becomes too much that it becomes crippling, that's when it becomes a bad thing. So when a person regularly feels a disproportionate level of anxiety, then that's where Medical News Today, this article says, that that's when things might become a disorder. And we'll talk about those categories as well. And so um, the disorders, especially these anxiety disorders alter how a person processes emotions and behavior and then it can also cause physical symptoms and that's pretty important to note as well that if your body in essence the body is going to get what it wants so if you if you begin to get very anxious and your heart rate starts to elevate, then that's where you're going to get the physical symptoms. I had Laura Abraham on a few weeks ago talking about EMDR, which is a way to treat trauma. And I love how she's she put it so clearly to me that when your body is going into fight or flight, and when, when the blood flow is going to the, you know, the heart and, and getting ready to go to the extremities because it's ready to run, then it's going to then go ahead and get rid of whatever's in the stomach. You can feel nauseous or it's going to cause, you know, you to maybe have diarrhea because it's like it literally your body is saying, we're about to go. Like we're about to run. So we gotta, we gotta get rid of everything. So, so if we don't learn how to kind of be calm, turn to our breathing, be present, learn how to just kind of set that anxiety aside, not try to fight it because again, if we're fighting against it, our own brain has this psychological reactance. Our own brain's going to say, you know, no, 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 you don't get it. I got I got to fight. So that's where you learn how to just make room for the anxiety. You know, If you're feeling this anxiety, it's like, hey, thanks, brain. I know you're doing me a solid here, but I'm just going to kind of set you aside and I'm going to try to get back to what's important to me, even if what's important to me right now is simply trying to take a few breaths. So so while mild anxiety might be vague and unsettling, uh, severe anxiety can really affect, and I understand this, affect day-to-day living. Um, According to medical news today, uh, anxiety disorders affect 40 million people in the United States. It's the most common group of mental illness in the country. However, only about 36.9% of people with any kind of anxiety disorder do receive treatment. So the American Psychological Association defines anxiety as an emotion characterized by feelings of tension, worried thoughts, and then physical changes like increased blood pressure. So knowing the difference of what kind of a normal or typical feelings of anxiety versus what an anxiety disorder is like is. it it may require help from a medical professional or help from a mental health professional. And so I wanted to kind of go through this article because I think that it does a nice job of it kind of looks at these differences between anxiety and an anxiety disorder, different types of anxiety and then what are the treatment options as well. So and and from this from this moment forward, I will be quoting very often this medical news today which does not have a specific author and I will put this in the show notes as well. But so it says that while anxiety can can cause distress, stress that it's not always a medical condition so when somebody does face these these triggers these worry the the feelings of harm then these feelings of anxiety are not only normal but they were initially designed to be necessary for survival and so if you kind of go back and i love the happiness trap does a really nice job talking about this but if you go back to our earliest days of humanity um our brain was basically a don't get killed device And so the approach of predators or incoming danger, those sort of things, those literally set off these alarms in the body and those alarms in the body are what would allow us to run. They allowed for this evasive action. So these alarms, they become very noticeable by the raised heartbeat, the sweating, and then you become very hyper aware, hyper vigilant, or have this increased sensitivity to your surroundings. So again... That is, that is inborn in us. That's since our earliest days of humanity. That is what anxiety was designed to do. So then the danger causes this, this rush of adrenaline. Um, there's a hormone and a chemical messenger in the brain, which in turn triggers these anxious reactions in the process that we identified earlier, fight, flight, or freeze. And so this is what prepares a human being to be ready to physically confront or flee any potential threats to their safety. So for a lot of people... You know, running from large animals or, or really being put in this in, imminent danger is not as a, much of a pressing concern as it was for our early human ancestors, right? So anxiety now revolves around its finances, its family, its, its our health, uh, its work, its all of these just what ifs. And we become very, very good at just identifying all of these. There's so many what ifs that we can have in our lives. And so these are the things that demand somebody's attention. That without necessarily requiring that fight or flight reaction but i think it's important to note that a lot of times a lot of factors can go into this I, I was talking with somebody recently who hadn't slept in a while and so you know that sleep that deep rim sleep is what actually clears the brain i mean it kind of resets the brain and helps kind of get rid of that cortisol that stress hormone that fight or flight chemical that it gets rid of that and so if you're not getting sleep then you can already have a, a compromised ability to deal with your anxiety. So that nervous feeling before any kind of a big important life event or during any kind of difficult situation is, is this, the you know, this, this article says it's this natural echo of the original fight or flight reaction. So it can still be essential to survival. So anxiety about being hit by a car when crossing the street is a good idea because it means the person will instinctively look both ways to avoid danger. My wife and I were out on a run on a Saturday and I still, I'm so used to running at three in the morning with a headlamp on that I never, I never use a crosswalk. I'm always going to run behind a car or, you know, I, I'm never going to even chance it because I'm used to running in the dark. So here we were running in the daylight and I keep finding myself crossing streets at places that I shouldn't when there are crosswalks and my wife will always kind of think you know where are you going and then I just know it's just this kind of um, I'm just so used to just being having probably a little bit of anxiety around knowing that I've watched enough cars in 20 years of running at three or four in the morning that just blow through stop signs that I'm not about to try and cross in the crosswalk so so that's something that to me then is kind of normal. So, and that's and a little bit of that anxiety is what's probably kept me safe. So, with anxiety disorders, now we start talking about the duration or the severity of an anxious feeling because sometimes that can be out of proportion to an original trigger or a stressor. So, if if on a run Saturday, if all of a sudden I panicked and I froze and I couldn't even move and I had to sit on the sidewalk, and that that was my my reaction to an, a a bit of an anxious feeling, then that would, that would be one of these things that's out of proportion to this original trigger or stressor. So then physical symptoms include blood pressure, increased blood pressure, and then here we go, nausea, diarrhea, uh, upset stomach, these things also might develop. And then these responses may, may move beyond anxiety and start Start kind of getting into an anxiety disorder. So the American Psychological Association describes a person with anxiety disorder as having recurring intrusive thoughts or concerns. So once anxiety reaches the stage of a disorder, that's when it starts to interfere with daily function, and that's when it's really important to keep an eye on it. That's when it's really a good idea to go seek a mental health professional. So while a, there are a number of different diagnoses, uh, different ones that constitute anxiety disorders, the, the most common one that I see is the symptoms of generalized anxiety disorder, or GAD, G-A-D, and those will often include there's this restlessness or this feeling of just constantly being on edge. Or there is uncontrollable feelings of worry. There's increased irritability. Concentration difficulties often happen. And I think a lot of those are because of this, this last one, sleep difficulties, such as either problems in falling asleep or in staying asleep. And so while these symptoms might be normal to experience in daily life, people with generalized anxiety disorder will experience them um, to just regular, persistent to extreme levels. So, so generalized anxiety disorder might kind of start to present as these vague, just this unsettling worry. Um, or a more severe anxiety that starts to disrupt day-to-day living that might make it even worse or even have a harder time sleeping or a harder time concentrating or even additionally increased irritability. So, for And, and we'll kind of talk a little bit more about um, some of the different types of anxiety disorders as well. So, so let's kind of get into that. So in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders, which is the thing that we use as therapists to, to do a diagnosis for whether we're doing um, paperwork for insurance, or or those sort of things. Um, in the previous version of the DSM, anxiety disorders included things like OCD or PTSD, as well as like acute stress disorder. However, um, now they no longer group the, those things under anxiety. So, anxiety disorders now include the following diagnosis. So, we've got the generalized anxiety disorder, which I kind of just went over. And again, that's in excessive, long lasting anxiety and worries about non specific life events or objects or situations. It's the most common anxiety disorder, and people with that disorder are not always able to identify identify the cause of their anxiety and that's kind of key so they won't always know but they might just have this underlying feeling of anxiety this is anxious feelings that are hard to get rid of Um, Another another thing is panic disorder. So this one is where there are very brief or sudden attacks of kind of this intense terror or or apprehension. And then those things uh, characterize this this panic disorder. So these attacks can lead to shaking or confusion or dizziness, uh, nausea, breathing difficulties. You often hear about that with more of a panic disorder. And that's where panic attacks those will tend to occur and they can escalate rapidly. Um, And sometimes it might even peak, it says, after about 10 minutes. However, a panic attack might last, it could last for hours. So panic disorders usually occur after frightening experiences or prolonged stress, but could also occur without a trigger. So somebody that's experiencing a panic attack might misinterpret it as a life threatening illness or, and and they all of a sudden may make drastic changes in behavior in hopes to avoid future attacks. And in essence, what they start doing is they often withdraw because they're so worried about having another panic attack. And the problem that maybe you can see is that then that's kind of allowing that panic to then take a little bit more control or hold of their life. So over a period of time, then the very thing, it's this very panic that they're trying to avoid causes them to then worry more about what if, what if I have another panic attack? What if I go out in public and I have a panic attack? And those are those things where they can actually then even cause you to feel a little bit more immobilized than learning how to to kind of you know breathe through these situations, or slowly put yourself back into an environment where some of those situations or triggers might be, and so in essence, you don't have to just throw yourself out in the middle of the the stressor and then say, all right, ex- you know uh, what's it exposure? It, that doesn't necessarily have to be the case, but recognizing that if my goal is to continue to live a very fulfilling life, or to be social, or to go out in public, then but what if I have a panic disorder? What if I have a panic attack? It just becomes a story my brain is trying to fuse me to to keep me away from trying to put myself out there in public. So, um, the panic disorders, panic attacks again. Uh, mindfulness is one of the biggest keys. There are medications that people can take as well, but but being able to talk about it and not have those things really control you is one of the biggest ways to really work with panic disorders or generalized anxiety disorder. There are certain phobias that becomes an irrational fear or an avoidance of a particular object or a situation. And then phobias, they're not really like other anxiety disorders because they have a specific cause. So somebody with a phobia might acknowledge a fear as illogical or extreme, but they still don't feel like they can control their feelings around it. I remember uh, I have had a couple of spiders recently in my office, and I just remember the movie it was probably the 80s or the early 90s, Arachnophobia. Right. Phobia, fear of spiders, Triskaidekaphobia, fear of the number 13. I mean, there's, there's several of these phobias. Some of them are kind of out there a little bit, but then others, like one of the most uh, common ones that I, that I deal with is one called agoraphobia. And that one's a fear and an avoidance of places or events or situations where people feel like it might be difficult to escape or where they feel like they, they would not, uh, there, they wouldn't be available if a person becomes trapped or the help wouldn't become available if they if they were trapped. So people often misunderstand this as a phobia of open spaces or the outdoors, but it's kind of not that easy. Um, a person with agoraphobia might have a fear of leaving home or using elevators or public transportation. And again, it's more of this just uh this feeling of being trapped or where help wouldn't be available if they were trapped. So and, and you can do a deep dive on phobias. There's so many different phobias. Um a couple of the other ones that they point out in this medical news today article selective mutism. So this is a form of anxiety that some children experience where they're not able to speak in certain places or contexts such as school, even though they might have excellent verbal communication skills around people that they're that they're familiar with. And that might be this extreme form of social phobia. And I've seen some of that in my practice as well. And then social anxiety disorder, or social phobias, uh, kind of talked about a social phobia earlier, and that's the fear of this like almost negative judgment of others in social situations or public embarrassment. So those Have a a variety of feelings, such as fear of stage fright, or fear of intimacy, or anxiety around humiliation or rejection. Um, All of those things kind of fall into that social anxiety disorder, and that one can cause people to avoid public situations, or they avoid human contact to the point that their everyday living can be extremely difficult. And uh, and again, there is so much help for these. Any of these um, these anxiety related uh disorders, um, generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety disorder, all of these things. And one other one that I thought it would be interesting to talk about is uh, separation anxiety disorder. I remember working as a volunteer in a nursery for a little while. And, you know, I was constantly tra- trying to assess or diagnose, you know, does this kid have separation anxiety disorder or are they just a, a normal kid? And it's hard to tell. So high, anxi- high these high levels of anxiety after separation from a person or place that provides feelings of security or safety Those are the things that characterize a separation anxiety disorder. And so separation um, might sometimes result in in symptoms of panic. And again, I learned very quickly that it's kind of normal when a kid is leaving their parent and going into a nursery or that sort of thing. There are some that just stroll right in. Maybe they've been more socialized. Maybe they have a lot of older brothers and sisters. Maybe they go to daycare or preschool more. But then there are others that are going to have a really difficult time leaving their mom or dad's side. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's this separation anxiety disorder. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the causes of anxiety. Um, the causes can be a bit complicated because there might be, it's almost like this tip of the iceberg kind of effect that uh, many might occur at once, some may lead to others, and some things that may cause stress at one point in your life or anxiety may not cause it at a different time in your life. So, And sometimes you have multiple symptoms that can lead up to uh, having a panic attack or an anxiety disorder, but some of the some of the common ones are environmental stressors, um, difficulties at work, or difficulties in a relationship or family issues. And obviously, I know that podcasts are evergreen; they they live forever. But right now, as I am recording this, we're talking five six weeks into the COVID nineteen uh, coronavirus pandemic, and and people are starting to feel their their feelings a lot more of the stressors of when will this end and what if we what will the summer look like and and they're canceling weddings and vacations and people are getting sick and people are are dying and jobs are kind of uh, up in the air for a lot of people there's financial issues so there are a lot of stressors and this is where I go back to the acceptance and commitment therapy model where it's almost as if if you didn't have a little bit of stress I would kind of say you know really I, I mean it's it's normal it's normal to have stress and that sort of thing. Um, genetics people that have family members with anxiety disorders are more likely to experience ones themselves i have been meaning for years literally to go back and do a little bit on i feel like i should have looked this up before that there's a documentary called in utero and if i remember the data behind that there was uh there's studies about cortisol levels in the utero in the uterus so um kids that have grown up around violence or grown up around a lot of yelling or that sort of thing actually have a little bit higher cortisol levels than those who maybe grew up in, in uh, completely, I don't know, calm, um, environments or families where maybe there just was a lot more, uh, what everybody's more chill, I think as the kids say, um, medical factors, the symptoms of a different disease effects of a medication or the stress of an intensive surgery or prolonged recovery can cause anxiety. And again, that's normal. It's absolutely normal. And being able to just kind of make room for those feelings and acknowledge them, but don't try to run away from them. Don't try to say what's wrong with me, you know, and that's where a lot of times the breathing, I can't, I can't stress the concept of mindfulness enough. Remember, mindfulness is not trying to clear your brain of all thought. That is, that is uh, an impossible task, but really what mindfulness is about is being able to when you recognize that your thoughts are kind of getting away from you to just note it, recognize, okay, I'm starting to kind of get maybe into some unproductive territory here with my thoughts. And so I'm just going to kind of uh, thank my brain for taking me in that direction. And I'm just going to maybe do a little bit of breathing in through the nose, maybe two or three seconds out through the mouth, two or three seconds, and do that a few times because that's going to all of a sudden lower my heart rate and soon or stop my heart rate from elevating, which is again, going to start to move away from this fight or flight response. So yeah, medical factors, brain chemistry, Um, psychologists, psychologists define a lot of uh, anxiety disorders as misalignment of hormone or electrical signals in the brain. There's some pretty fascinating things that are going on. I'm actually getting to talk with some people right now about some pretty advanced uh, technology around things that may help the treatment of depression or anxiety in the not-too-distant future. I kind of can't wait to talk about more of that. Um, withdrawal from, from substances. Uh, everything from illegal substances to even caffeine withdrawal can cause a little bit more anxiety and, uh, and cause that uh, kind of that, the jitters, the fight-or-flight response starting to kick in. Um, treatment can be a combination of medication. It can be trying to change your behaviors. It can be therapy like the kind that I do, uh, which is like called psychotherapy and uh, And one thing that i don 't think that people talk about enough is that if people are dependent upon alcohol, if people are struggling from maybe a clinical depression, um, some of these other conditions can have a real strong effect on anxiety or treating anxiety disorders so at times it really is important to to address things like alcohol dependence or you know i 've had clients that have um, I don't know. They maybe had experienced paranoia from smoking a lot of marijuana. And so then, you know, they're they're not really wanting to move away from the marijuana if that is causing them anxiety to then deal with the anxiety disorder. So, you know, a lot of times you have to treat some of these underlying conditions and, and get those to under control before we can then try to work specifically on the anxiety um, and then uh, medical news today kind of talks about self treatment. What does that look like? That can be stress management, learning how to limit potential triggers. And, and what does that mean? When I do a lot in the world of addiction, addiction recovery, Um, I talk about the habit cycle, that there's a trigger and a thought and an action. So a lot of times the trigger, um, let me go back to this addiction model. A lot of times trigger is just, I call them crimes of opportunity. If someone is by themselves and, and, and bored and they have access to whatever they're, whether it's gambling, whether it's pornography, whether it's drugs, whether it's whatever, that that's a trigger. And so if you can work to manage the trigger, then that can often help. That'll keep you away from this trigger and then having the thought of wanting to act out and then taking action and acting out. So when I have people that they recognize their trigger is when they are alone, then that's one, if they can manage it, it's not to be alone. So being aware of the triggers that can lead to stress. Um, Organize uh, any upcoming pressures or deadlines. A lot of times people do like to compile lists to make these daunting tasks seem more manageable and and maybe commit to taking time off from study or work. Don't try to bite off more than you can chew. Uh, I know that's a cliche, but here's that thing. I'm going to continue to go back to people's private experiences. Some people. They can multitask and juggle a lot of projects at one time. Other people cannot. And that is OK because that is a lot of that based on your nature or your nurture or your DNA or birth order, abandonment, rejection that, or that sort of thing. So just because somebody else can keep a very full schedule does not mean that something is wrong with you if you cannot do that um, relaxation techniques, simple activities to help soothe the mental and physical signs of anxiety. They can include meditation, uh, deep breathing exercises, what we've talked about here. Um, they give the recommendation of long baths, resting in the dark yoga, any of these things that remember now, I hope you have a better idea of that. Your, your, your goal is to just, just not get caught up in thoughts that, that lead to these feelings of uh, anxious feelings or anxiety, but when you do recognize that might be the case of just having a practice down, a training the brain to kind of just come back to the here and now, come back to the present, and uh, and they talk about in medical news today of some exercises to try and replace negative thoughts with positive ones, and this is a little bit more of that cognitive behavioral realm. And again, I'm not saying that that is there is anything necessarily wrong with cognitive behavioral therapy. How could I? There have been just that had tens of thousands of articles and books published on this but just you know it, they talk about making a list of negative thoughts kind of writing a replacement thought I even in my online program on the path back um, my online recovery program for pornography, I have an exercise in there called Wrong Thought Right, where you will recognize a, a wrong thought, a negative thought, and just to even gently kind of make aware of maybe what the more correct version of that thought would be. And and there's nothing wrong with that. Where I start to bring awareness is when if you continue to try and change a thought, and if it isn't working, just make note of it. Don't beat yourself up and say, what's wrong with me? That I can't just immediately change. choose to be happy and then be happy for the rest of my life. It's not that easy because there are a lot of things going on in people's lives. Um, they do give the example of creating a mental image of su- successfully facing and conquering a specific fear. And I have had some good good success myself, especially when in the ultra running world of kind of this visualization of just especially some of the, like, I don't know. Yeah, I haven't talked about this in a while, but 100 mile race um, through from Tahoe down to Auburn, California, the Western States Endurance Run. I've been able to do it three times. It's the Super Bowl of hundreds. I absolutely love everything about it. And a lot of what can bring me some calm or peace in the days or weeks leading up to it is visualizing just being on the trail and, re- and and visualizing it being two or three in the morning and just that, that that whole experience with my headlamp on, maybe my pacer, my wife is there with me, mile 70 or 80, and just this visualization of just being in the moment and enjoying it and having fun and just it just starts to bring me just this kind of excitement. And then when I get in that moment, a lot of times I'm, I think to myself, okay, I know, I know this section of trail. Um, I'm excited about this section of trail. So some of that guided uh, imagery or visualization can definitely help. Um, support network talk with familiar people who are supportive not people who are going to just tell you don't worry about it get over it so look for family members supportive family members or friends their support groups for anxiety um, and that might be something that you can take a look at i know if you have you might want to check with your medical provider and uh, they may have some groups and if you haven't done a group i want you to know there's a lot of um if you i don't know if you watch good comedy skits or that sort of thing you might see a lot of fun being made at groups but uh group group work is pretty exciting when you get a good group that gels together You feel like you're not alone and you feel like you have somebody you can turn to. And exercise. I cannot say enough about physical exertion. Physical exertion can improve self-image. It can release chemicals in the brain that trigger positive feelings. And this is one where please do not think that you have to go all or nothing on this. uh, A couple of years ago, I did an acceptance and commitment therapy challenge with push-ups in my office. Here's what that looks like. I I would continually find these apps or websites that would talk about this 100 push-up challenge. I really do enjoy push-ups. But I wanted to be able to do one of these these apps that would, if you follow this training pattern, then in theory you will be able to do a set, one set of 100 push-ups. And I would start and stop these things probably for about the last decade, maybe more. And the more I embraced acceptance and commitment therapy, I decided, okay, that was giving me too much of the the opportunity to, to tell me the what's wrong with me story. Why can't I stick with this? app or stick with this online program to be able to do a set of 100 push-ups. So a couple of years ago, January 1st, just for fun, I said my New Year's resolution was just to to do push-ups every day. And then my brain would try to do the okay, well, that's not very clear, or, you know, how's that going to work, or how are you going to track that, or you're not going to be satisfied with that. And all of those were just these stories my brain was trying to hook me to 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 get me away from this goal of just doing push-ups. So there would be days where I might be almost ready for bed, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm just going to, I'm almost, uh, I've almost forgotten to do this, so I'm just going to get down and and do, I don't know, 10, 15 push-ups. And then my brain would say, "That's that's not enough. And what I love about acceptance and commitment therapy is, yeah, I'm not even arguing if that's uh, if that's a lot of push-ups if it's not a lot of push-ups it's not a productive thought because my goal is to do push-ups daily and so every day I would do more push-ups and, and then I, I kind of joke that it's probably about April or May it was a little bit longer than I had anticipated but at some point I feel like the, my brain finally said fine do your push-ups so you know now between sessions and uh, especially it's been a lot easier because of the online a lot of the online sessions right now but you can just drop down and do a set of 25 push-ups and if you do a few of those a day before you know it you're doing 200 300 push-ups a day i brought some free weights i'm looking at them right now uh, imagine you throw uh, you throw the push-ups in there and then maybe you do a curl or maybe you do a tricep extension i brought an ab wheel in last week and i'm still feeling it now so you can just gently bring uh, awareness to doing a few additional exercises throughout the day and it really does make you feel good it does physical exertion works and then take a look at counseling um, standard way of treating anxiety is counseling. And that can include, and on medical news today, they say it can include CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, psychotherapy, a different kind of combination of therapies, like I say, acceptance and commitment therapy. And uh, and then last but not least, it's always, you know, people ask me often, what do I think about medication? And and I'm, I'm very honest. I'm going to be as, as authentic as I can be when I got into this um, When I got into this field, for some reason, I thought I would be this person. Well, you know, are you sure you want to do medication? But then I remember one of the first clients I ever worked with that was so depressed that they had become suicidal, and they started taking an antidepressant, and I will will never forget this. I actually just quoted this to somebody yesterday. But this person said that they, they realized with the, the antidepressant that their negative thoughts stopped on the first floor. He said when his elevator was going down, it would stop on the first floor, where prior to his antidepressant, his, his negative thoughts would go all the way into the basement. And he said, you don't want to see what's in the basement. So a lot of times medication can really help. And there are, there are medications that you can take daily that will, um, that will reduce uh, your overall feelings of anxiety. But there are also ones immediate release. Or some people call them situational. So, like I don't know, is Xanax, a clonopin, those kind of things, and those are ones that can um, lower your uh, your heart rate, or hey, what are they, a central nervous system? Um, relaxant, a, a de-stimulant. I don't think either one of those are the right words. But but now you, if you know if you can kind of see, understand how this uh, anxiety works, that if it can lower your heart rate, it can kind of lower the production of the stress hormone cortisol. And then that can help people get into a bit of a more relaxed state. Medications in general. I don't say this one enough when I go back to my emotional baseline theory. And if you haven't heard that, please go look that up on uh on my website, or find a podcast I've done on it. But I feel at times that medication is just enough to raise one's emotional baseline up to a spot where then they are in a position to do the acceptance and commitment therapy work or that 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 does put them in a spot where then they do feel like they can get up and exercise so a lot of times a a good antidepressant or an anti-anxiety medication i i feel can help get someone out of bed they can get someone to start to do the work that then will raise their emotional baseline even further so then if they do decide they want to get off medication at some point they, they might take a little bit of a, a bump, but they're still going to be in this place where they can continue to do, uh, exercise, mindfulness, journaling, therapy, all of those kind of things. So, so if that, if that is something that you want to look into, please consult a medical doctor, uh, particularly a psychiatrist if possible. Um, that's somebody that works with these medications on a daily basis. So there's, uh, you know, let's kind of leave it there. So. Um, Prevention. Uh, There are a couple of things you can do to help moderate anxious emotions, Um, reduce your intake of caffeine or tea or colas or chocolates. And often they give this example as well. Before using over the counter herbal remedies, if you can, check with your doctor or pharmacist for any chemicals that might make anxiety symptoms worse. A lot of times people don't even, aren't aware of the um, negative interactions that a couple of chemicals can have with each other. And it's always good to maintain a healthy diet. I'm a big hypocrite there. Um, keep a regular sleep pattern i'm an even bigger hypocrite there um, and they go on to say avoid alcohol or cannabis or other recreational drugs if that is something that is causing you anxiety so the takeaway they say anxiety itself is not a medical condition but it's a natural emotion that is vital for survival when an individual finds themselves facing danger i love that I, I really like that i was drawn to that even when i when i first read this article that it's a natural emotion anxiety is there for a reason so remember we're starting this one now saying thank you brain I appreciate what you're trying to do for me. Is this something that's going to help me right now? Or is, you know, do I have just enough anxiety to take action? But now I need to learn how to kind of diffuse from the the really intense negative emotions or stories that my brain's trying to hook me on. So an anxiety disorder will develop when this reaction becomes exaggerated or out of proportion to the trigger that causes it. And there are several types of anxiety disorders, including panic disorder, phobias, social anxiety. And remember that treatment involves a combination. It's a lot of different things. It can be a different type of therapy. It can take a look at medication, counseling, along with self-help measures such as mindfulness, um, uh, meditation, yoga, exercise diet sleep and so you know an active lifestyle with a balanced diet can truly help keep anxious emotions within healthy limits all right hey thanks for going on this deep dive talking about anxiety today this is something that i deal with daily in my practice and uh, i just uh, think not enough is said to kind of normalize a lot of these anxious feelings so if uh, if this podcast helped you or if you know of anyone that is struggling with some uh, anxiety feel free to send this their way and, uh, and let's just, uh, let's just kind of normalize that yeah, life can, can be difficult. And, uh, once we kind of recognize that life's difficult, and this is from the, the book, The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck. Once we know that life is difficult, um, then the fact that life is difficult no longer has as much of a hold on us. Once we kind of learn that life is difficult, now we can kind of lean into that a little bit and we can say, okay, well, what do we want to do with it? And we can think that anxiety that's kind of saying, Hey, don't forget life's difficult. Well, we got it noted. So we're going to learn what to do with that anxiety, what to do with those emotions, and continue to kind of diffuse and go back toward being present and just living life based on the values and things that are important to you. All right. Have a wonderful uh, week, and uh, I'll see you next time on The Virtual Couch.
1: Push aside the things that